hello and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message. Those of you online, welcome to Discovery Point Church. We're glad that you've chosen uh, to join us online for our worship service. Um, I'm going to pray and then we will, we will dig into God's word. Father in heaven, uh, we just want to say thank you for another day that wasn't promised to us. We thank you for, Lord, an opportunity to gather here in this place to freely worship you. Lord, we thank you for the reminders during our worship of how much you love us, that you shed your blood so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins. And as we consider, uh, Lord, what you have done for us, I pray today that we would continue to examine our own lives to make sure that we are living lives that bring you honor and glory and bear fruit for the kingdom. We ask you to bless the reading and hearing of your word, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first, I just want to say thank you to those of you who were praying for my family and I. Uh, as you know, I had either a, uh, a mini stroke or a COVID event uh, just about a week and a half ago, and we, we still don't know which one it is, but either way, just want to thank you for the, the phone calls and the text and for providing food and cards and just all the encouragement. That is what the body of Christ is supposed to do. So from the bottom of my heart, and on behalf of my family, thank you so much for your support. And I got to tell you that the hospital staff was just wonderful. We, we went to ER after the second service a couple Sundays back, and they, they took my blood pressure, which was a little elevated. They uh, drew blood to run tests, and the panels came back okay. Uh, they did a, a, a CT scan. They found a brain. Can you believe it? <laughs> they did an MRI. Uh, they checked my heart, my carotid artery. They did all of these tests to make sure that my body was uh, operating the way that God has designed it to. And when they found issues like with my blood pressure, which was elevated, they, they prescribed medicine to help bring it back under control so that my blood pressure would be where God expects it to be, where he designed it to be. And I, I just want to thank the staff because they... They did everything they could to make sure that Rodney and Pastor Rod, that his body was operating the way it was supposed to be. And today we're going to do an examination. Not a, not a physical examination. But we're going to perform a spiritual examination. An examination of our very lives. And when you think about Discovery Point Church and you think about our direction our God is just so amazing in that normally when the pastors get together at the beginning of the year or, or at the end of a year, Pastor Gregory and Pastor Greg and Pastor Ron and I will get together and we will kind of have a conversation about where God is leading the church, what we are sensing within the body here at Discovery Point Church. And once we've had that conversation, we then go to God's word and we, we look for a letter in God's word to address the issues that we see we need to address so that we can be about God's will. And then we begin the process of looking at the background for the book and the history for the book, who wrote it, why it was written, when was it written. 
followed by breaking up the book so that, okay, I'm going to preach this day, you're going to preach this day, and we break up the text. But if you've noticed from the beginning of the year, we haven't done that. Pastor Greg has preached sermons that the Holy Spirit led him to preach. Pastor Gregory led sermons that, preached sermons that the Holy Spirit led him to preach. Pastor Ron preached sermons that the Holy Spirit led him to preach. But if you were listening from, from January, even up to today, God has been speaking to us. Uh, God used Pastor Greg to remind us from Joshua that we need to consecrate ourselves that we need to prepare ourselves so that when God moves before us, we'll be ready to follow. And he reminded us that God's grace is available each and every day and that God's grace ought to produce, ought to produce gratitude in our lives. And that gratitude, gratitude for God's grace is a means to bring God glory. You remember that? He also told us if you're, you're unsure about where you're going, he said to be glad. To be glad, to go to the mountain, go to that place where you can meet God. And he said to listen for the whisper, which means we have to be quiet in order to hear the voice of God, to listen for the whisper, and then answer the question, what am I doing? Why am I here? Where do I need to be? And lastly, he said, decide to get help or decide upon a direction. When God speaks, follow his lead. And Pastor Gregory followed up a reminder when he told us that our life is found in Jesus Christ. Not in our wealth and not in our possessions, but that our life is found in Jesus. And he reminded us just last week that in, in, in moments, part two, that Satan will oftentimes throw distractions our way to get our focus off of Jesus. And Pastor Ron told us that we won't grow as a church if we're not in God's word. That God doesn't expect us to do great things but that we should be faithful in the little things. And it's those small acts of obedience that bring about God's will. And as a church, it seems to be that God is calling us to prepare our hearts, to prepare our minds for something that he is preparing to do so that when he acts, when the moment comes, wherever you find yourself planted, you'll be ready and I'll be ready to answer the call, and to move forward and follow God. So let me ask a question. How would you gauge your spiritual health? How would you gauge your spiritual health? When I went into the hospital and I was sitting in ER, they, they showed me a scale. And I said, Mr. Tolls, where is your pain level? Bring up the next slide, please. Where is your pain level on this scale? And it didn't come up. And that it, oh, it's back there. It's not in the back. And I looked at the scale and said, well, right now it's probably a 15. Because my head was just pounding. Well, in the same way, from a spiritual perspective, where are you, the next slide, please, on this scale? 
Are you just kind of not following Jesus and you just kind of come to hang out and be amongst other people? Or are you somewhat serving Jesus? Or are you a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Remembering that he's called us to bear fruit. That's a question for you and the Holy Spirit to wrestle with. I want to ask you another question. What's hindering us from bearing more fruit for God? What is hindering us from bearing more fruit for God? And hopefully, by the end of our time today, we will answer that question. And so if you have a Bible or iPad or iPhone, turn with me to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Where we're going to find a very familiar parable that Jesus is going to, to tell to the crowd. And I just want to ask that this parable is very familiar, and I'm sure you've heard it preached multiple times. But the danger in that is this, because it's familiar to us, we may have the mindset that God has nothing new to say to me today. And I just pray that you would be attentive as we go through what Jesus has to say, because God is still speaking through his word, and he has something to say to you today. So Mark chapter 4, let me give you some context. Jesus has been baptized. He has spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. He's been tempted by the devil. He, he goes to Capernaum, and he begins teaching in the, in the Jewish synagogues. And on one particular Sabbath, he heals a man who has an unclean spirit. And everybody is amazed that this new rabbi who has suddenly come on the scene is speaking with such authority that he has this, this ability, this power to even command unclean spirits. And people are wondering, what is this new authority? What is this new teaching? Who is this man who speaks like nobody we've ever heard speak before? And so he even heals a man uh, with a withered hand. He, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals many people who were demon-possessed. And news about Jesus began to spread like wildfire all across Capernaum. And so he moves into the, into the suburbs, out into the villages where he can move more freely. And so he goes to Galilee, and he, he heals a, a man who has leprosy. And Jesus tells this man, don't tell anybody what I've done for you. And rather than listening, this man goes and he tells everybody about what Jesus has done, so much so that now folks in Galilee are coming and looking for Jesus. And so Jesus goes back to Capernaum. And these folks follow him. And he's, he's preaching in a house one day and these guys dig a hole in the roof and let their friend down who's paralyzed and he heals him. But Jesus tells him this, that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And the Pharisees didn't like this because only God can forgive sins. And so Jesus says, what's, what's easier to say your sins are forgiven or to take up your bed and walk? But to show you that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, he tells the man, get up and walk. Take up your bed and go home. And the man gets up, picks up his bed, and he goes home. This didn't sit well with the Pharisees. And so they decided to talk to the folks that they don't like, the Herodians, and began a plot to kill Jesus because he's too popular. Too many people are coming to him. 
and they, he's taken the focus off of them. And Luke tells us that Jesus' family heard about what's happening, and they thought he'd lost his mind, and so they, they come to get Jesus, and while they're on their way, the Pharisees accuse Jesus of being possessed by Satan, of being possessed by Beelzebub, the, the Lord of Flies, and that he's healing, and that he's, he's, he's doing all these things by the power of Satan. And they reject his message. They reject the miracles. Nonetheless, people are continuing to come to Jesus. And then we see this great crowd in Mark chapter 4. And folks are coming, Mark says, from Jerusalem and from Judea, from Idumea and from the Jordan and, and from Tyre and Sidon, Sire. It's like people coming to Discovery Point Church from, from Tucson and Havasu City and, and way out in Apache Junction and down in, in Sierra Vista. They're coming to hear Jesus. They're coming to see this rabbi who's doing some amazing things. They're coming to hear this rabbi who is saying some phenomenal and outrageous things. Look at Mark chapter 4, verse 1 with me. Mark records this. He began teaching by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat into the, in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And I can see this crowd surrounding the seashore and the hills behind them as Jesus puts out in this boat because he's being pressed on all sides, and there's a hush that comes over the crowd as Jesus begins to speak. And look at verse 2 with me. Mark says, and he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching. Let me stop here. What is a parable? Well, a parable is simply a story within the context of a larger life story. It's a story within the context of a larger story, a real life story. Warren Wiersbe says this about parables, and I love this. He says, a parable starts off as a picture that is familiar to the listeners. But as you carefully consider the picture, it becomes a mirror in which you see yourself. And many people do not like to see themselves. I love that description of a parable. And so here's the parable, verses 3 through 9. Listen to this, Jesus says. Behold, these are commands. Listen and understand the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell among rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil, and after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil. And as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced 60, uh, 30, 60, and 100 fold. And he was saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, this is a very familiar parable. It's often called the parable of the sower, but it's really the parable of the soils. And so Jesus said that the, 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 the sower went out to sow, 
And in an agrarian culture, like in the first century, the folks who were listening understood exactly what Jesus was talking about. So when he says sower and broadcasting the seed, they know immediately what he's saying. They can picture it in their minds. And he says that some of the, soil, some of the seed fell on, on the rocky ground, on the roadside. And that immediately the birds came up and they ate it. He said some of the seed fell on, on rocky ground, which had thin topsoil and the rest was limestone. He said that these, that these, these sprang up immediately because they had no root. And when the sun came out, because the soil is thin and the roots can't get down deep to where the water and nutrients are, when the sun came up and heated the rocks, the roots were, were destroyed. They were burned up. And he said that some were thrown among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and the root system of the thorns would then choke out the root system of the plants, and they gave no fruit, Jesus says. And then there was this good soil. And so you can go on to the, to the, to the fourth click. And with the good soil, he says that some seed fell into the good soil, and it yielded a crop, and that it kept on producing some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. And then Luke says this, Jesus kept on saying to them, he who has an ear, let him hear. And everybody understood exactly what Jesus was trying to say, right? Wrong. They were confused. This crowd had come to hear this radical new rabbi say something amazing and do something amazing and yet he's talking about soil and he's talking about casting seed and we're not sure what he's trying to say. You ever, you ever heard someone give a talk, maybe a TED talk or even preach and you're not sure what they're trying to say but you, you, you kind of save face and just kind of, uh-huh, uh-huh. You ever, you ever been there? That's what the disciples are doing because they're not quite sure what Jesus is saying. And there's this confusion among the apostles and the disciples, as well as in the crowd. And so look at verse 10 with me as Jesus tries to explain what's going on. As soon as he was alone, and I love this, we wait till everybody leaves, and then we kind of go up. Uh, Lord, quick question. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables. Let me stop for a second. Don't miss this. Jesus says there are two types of people. And it's emphatic. He says to you, the twelve, to you, these disciples who are with the twelve, to you. God has given you the keys to the kingdom of God. He has given to you the understanding of the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to everybody else, they get everything in parables. Well, why? Jesus answers that question. Look at verse 12 with me. So that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not hear, or and not understand, excuse me. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. Wait a minute. Y'all help me out. Because I thought Jesus wanted everybody to be saved. 
What does he mean when he says so that while seeing, they may, not, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand? Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. What is going on with Jesus? Well, look at verse 13. He says, he says to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all parables? What is going on with Jesus? In order to understand what he's saying, we've got to go back to what he just quoted. So will you turn with me to the left, to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 1, it's to the left. If you get to the Psalms and Proverbs, you've gone too far. But Isaiah chapter 1 will, will help us set the context for why Jesus just said what he said. Isaiah chapter 1, I want to read verses 1 through 4. And Isaiah says this. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, concerning Judah and Jerusalem, which he saw during the reign of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Verse 2. Listen, O heavens, and hear, O earth, for the Lord speaks. And here's what God says. Sons I have reared and brought up, but they have revolted against me. An ox knows its owner, and a donkey its master's manger, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Alas, sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, sons, of, sons who act corruptly. They have abandoned the Lord. Don't miss this. They have abandoned the covenant-keeping God. They have turned their backs on Yahweh. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away from Him. And this sets the context for the rest of Isaiah. What's, what's Isaiah saying? That Israel, they've rejected God. They've turned their backs on God. They've walked away from God. And sometimes when we turn from God, when we walk away from God, when we'd rather have our sin, God will oftentimes let our sin have us. And so Israel has turned their back on God, the God of their fathers. Now, go to chapter 6 of Isaiah with me. Again, very familiar passage. This is Isaiah talking in the year King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted. You've heard this before. God asked the question, who shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, I'll go, send me. Look at verse 6 with me. Sorry, look at verse 9 with me. God says this to, to Isaiah. He said, go and tell this people, talking about Israel, keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. Render the hearts of this people insensitive, their ears dull, and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. God has proclaimed judgment on Israel because they have chosen to abandon God. They've chosen to turn their backs on God. As a result, he has judged them, and they are now under judgment. And so Isaiah now has to go preach 
and nobody's going to listen. They're not going to understand. That's got to be encouraging for Isaiah, right? Spend all this time preaching your heart out. Here's what the Lord says, and nobody listens, nobody believes. Because they've chosen to reject God, the God of their fathers. Paul in Romans chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, says this about Israel. He says, what then? What Israel is seeking, it has not obtained. Catch this. But those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened, just like what Mark says. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, and ears to hear not, down to this very day. This parable that Jesus has just taught about the soils is an extension of God's judgment against Israel. Because he has sent, go back to Mark with me, he has sent his Messiah. God had showed up in the person of Jesus Christ. God in human flesh. And he has preached in their synagogues. And they have rejected him. He's healed people of evil spirits and they have rejected him. He's healed people of various diseases and infirmities and they have rejected him. They've even said that you were acting under the power of Satan. God has sent Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, Messiah, and Israel has rejected him. And so when Jesus teaches in parables, it is a reminder that Israel is under judgment for rejecting God. Does that make sense? Nothing has changed in over 700 years from the time of Isaiah until Jesus today where they have rejected his message, even with the miracles. And so Jesus clears up the confusion and he explains the parable. Look at verse 14 where we see the great explanation. Verse 14. Jesus says, the sower sows the word. It's not physical seed, but it is the word of God. The Greek word here is logos. And logos is, it is the idea or the expression of the mind and the will of God. And Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom is here. And he said to repent and believe the gospel. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the sower sows the word of God. If I could, the sower sows the gospel. Verse 15. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which, which has been sown in them. So when the word is cast along the roadside. Here in Arizona, I discovered something when we had our house built. And I was going to put in the irrigation system on my own and put in all the shrubbery and everything. I learned something that very first minute of the very first day I went to the backyard. The dirt here is like concrete. And you can, it's not going to budge. I learned something. Go call somebody to dig a trench. Because in Arkansas, the dirt is, I mean, you put the shovel down and it just goes down a couple of feet. You come up with dark dirt, rich dirt, not here. 
And in the same way, Jesus says that the roadside where some of the seed fell, he said that this is where Satan comes and immediately takes the word away because the roadside has been trampled on. It is hard. It is compact. It is callous like the Pharisees and the scribes who reject Jesus, who reject his message, who reject the miracles, who don't want to hear what this rabbi has to say. That's the first soil. And they cannot believe. Verse 16, Jesus says, In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. See, these are those folks who come to worship to check it out, and they love the environment. They love the love that they see. They love the family that they see, that family-type environment. They love what they're hearing, and they're happy about it, and they're joyous about it. When the sickness comes, or when trouble comes and the car won't start, and it's going to cost you $4,000 to fix it, when the diagnosis is cancer and it's inoperable, I've heard people say, my life was fine. If this is what Christianity is, I don't need it. I was doing well before Jesus. And these are the folks who receive the word with joy, but when persecution comes, when life happens, they, they fall away, Jesus says. I have a friend, yes, I have friends, by the way, um, whose name is Mark, and he and I co-led a uh, small group uh, about 20 years ago. And Mark was a very godly man as we led this group together. And then Mark's mother passed away. And she said some very nasty things to him, some very hurtful things to him. And rather than forgive mom, Mark blamed God and became angry with God, so much so that he turned his back and abandoned God. And to this day, he has refused to worship God or have anything to do with God. It's the same way with these soils. You, you, you receive the work with joy, but when persecution comes, when life gets hard, you fall away. John Calvin has an interesting quote about the human heart. He says this, The human heart has so many recesses for vanity, so many lurking places for falsehood, is so shrouded by fraud and hypocrisy, that it often deceives itself. And I think that's the third soil. These folks are self-deceived. In verse 18, we find the other soil. Verse 18, Jesus says this, And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who, having heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Just a few weeks ago, Pastor Gregory preached on the rich young ruler. He said, look, I've kept all the law. What is there left to do? 
What did Jesus tell him? Sell what you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. And it says that he went away, disheartened, sad. Why? Because he was worried about his riches. And I love what Jesus says about this third soil. The ones thrown among the, the, the thorns, that the worries of the world. Now, this is the first century, right? We're, talk, we're in the 21st century. We don't have much to worry about, right? Bring up that next slide, please. We don't have a lot to worry about today, unlike back then. But Jesus says that the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word. And get this, and it becomes unfruitful. It's as though the plant is starting to yield fruit. But the cares of COVID and the injustice and politics and greed and cancer and elections and divorce and social media crowd out the word of God. And we get distracted. And we stop bearing fruit. Does that make sense? We see this in scripture where uh, Paul, when he wrote his last letter uh, to, to Timothy, uh, his protege, he says this to Timothy. He says, make every effort to come to me soon. Why? Because Paul is about to die. He's about to be beheaded for, the, for his faith. Verse 10, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me. He's turned his back on me. He has abandoned me. And if you read Colossians and you read Philippians, you will find Demas who was helping Paul, who was walking with Paul, who was serving with Paul. But here, Demas has abandoned Paul and gone into Thessalonica, having loved this present world. Cretans has gone to Galatia, Titus into to Dalmatia. And Paul is all alone. So it can happen, and it, it has happened in Scripture. And look at verse 20 for the fourth soil. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it, and they bear it. 30, and they bear fruit, excuse me, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Please notice that not every seed bears the same amount of fruit. But here's the key, that we need to be bearing fruit. And I won't bear what you bear, and you won't bear what I bear, but we have to bear fruit. That's what God created us for. That's what glorifies him. It is bearing fruit. That is the key to this parable. There's, a, there's an unknown author who wrote a very interesting story about Satan and how Satan keeps us from bearing fruit, how he keeps us from being in a place where we can glorify God. And I want to read this to you. He says, Satan called a worldwide convention in his opening address to his evil angels, he said, we can't keep Christians from going to church. And we can't keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We can't even keep them from conservative values. But we can keep them from something else. Here's Satan's plan. We can keep them from forming an intimate, abiding experience in Christ. Next slide, uh, Stuart. We can keep them from forming an intimate, abiding experience in Christ. 
if they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken, Satan says. So let them go to church. Let them have their conservative lifestyles. But steal their time so they can't gain that experience in Jesus Christ. Here is how I want you to do this. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. One angel spoke up, spoke up, how are we supposed to do this? Satan responds, keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent numerous schemes to occupy their minds. He answered, tempt them to spend, 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 then borrow, borrow, borrow. Convince the wives to go to work and the husbands to work six to seven hours a day a week for 10 to 12 hours a day so they can afford their lifestyle. Keep them from spending time with their children. And as their families fragment, soon their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Secondly, he says, overstimulate their minds so that they cannot hear that still, small voice. Entice them to, entice them to stream music whenever they drive, to keep streaming and binging constantly in their homes. And see to it that every store and restaurant in the world plays, plays uh, Wi-Fi so that they can check and update their social media. This will jam their minds and break that union with Christ. Thirdly, he says, capture their attention. Fill their coffee tables with magazines and newspapers. Pound their minds with news 24 hours a day and invade their driving moments with electronic billboards. Flood their emails with junk mail, sweepstakes, sales, and notifications of every kind. Offering, offer them free products, services, and false hopes. Fourthly, he says, even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from it exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the coming week. Don't let them go out in nature. Send them into the amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, and movies instead. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship in their small groups, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave with troubled consciences and unsettled emotions. Fourthly, he says this, let them be involved in soul winning, but crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from God. Soon they will be working in their own strength, sacrificing their health and family unity for the good of the cause. Well, in the end it was quite a convention. The evil angels went eagerly to their assignments, causing the Christians everywhere to get busy, 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 and rush here and rush there. And the writer ends his story with this. Has the devil been successful in his scheme? He says, you be the judge. So I asked this question earlier. I want to ask it again. What is hindering us from bearing more fruit for God? What's hindering you from bearing more fruit for God? I want to leave you with three things. Don't forget the words of Jesus. John chapter 15, verse 5. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. 
He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus goes on in John chapter 15, verse 8. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We got to stay connected to Jesus. We have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus so that when God moves in our lives, we'll be ready to move with him and to follow. But if there are things that are distracting us, my hope and prayer is that we would take the time to do a self-examination, to do a spiritual checkup, and get rid of those things that are hindering us from bearing more fruit for God. What is bearing fruit? Well, I like how James Roscoe puts it. He wrote a journal, journal article called Fruit in the New Testament. He says this. This is his conclusion. The Christian should realize that fruit as character and fruit as witness do not exist in an either-or relationship, but rather in a both-and unity. He says, after all, it makes sense to ask, what Christian character could there be without Christian characters? See, bearing fruit is both an internal thing and it's an external event. The Spirit produces fruit within us. As we share the gospel, prayerfully we will produce fruit and increase the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So sometime this weekend, maybe this evening, think about your spiritual health. And let the Holy Spirit lead you and guide you as he gives you what you might need to bear more fruit for God. Make sense? Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for uh, your word. And Lord Jesus, thank you for uh, what you have to say to this church today. And Lord, as we examine our lives and how we are living, help us to identify those things that have caused us to take our eyes off of you and help us to put them aside. May we remove these things that would hinder us so that when you are ready to move, we will be ready to follow you so that you might be glorified. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you in advance for what you're about to do in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hello, and welcome to our podcast here at Discovery Point Church. Thank you for joining us today. We pray this message inspires you and is the beginning of a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the message.